0: Well, today I want us to turn to, to our Bibles, and we're going to look at Matthew 5, verses 38, starting with verse 38. And this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. It is, again, one of Jesus' uh, first uh, speeches that he gave to the crowds. And we're going to start with verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I'm going to stop here. What Jesus is saying here, if we are to love our enemy, it means going beyond just giving up your right for revenge. It says here in these verses, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The context here, which unfortunately began to be misinterpreted by the people in the biblical times, that an eye for an eye was a way that God wanted his people to have fair justice, that there is punishment for crimes that are going to be committed by individuals. So it just meant that it's not to. Um, eliminate punishment, but it was just to reinforce that it should be fair. If it's, if you lost an eye, you should get an eye. If you lost a tooth, you should be a tooth. But unfortunately, it began to be misinterpreted, misused to the understanding of many people actually it was just to justify themselves that they wanted to justify revenge. That it if the Bible says I can go for an eye for an eye, then I'm going to go for an eye for an eye. It was, people took this as a way of just saying my seeking justice, and sometimes even excessive justice, that I want more done to somebody else who hurt me, was actually justifiable. People were disregarding at that time clearly other instructions by God just to be merciful to be people of grace, to extend um, forgiveness to others. But they took this scripture verse, which is out of Leviticus, that it was okay to seek revenge. And that was a misunderstanding of a God intended. It was just meant to be for fairness. The next verses say to resist, to resist an evil person. Another way of understanding to resist, it means not to take action. Not to sue someone. If someone hurt you, just defer. Do not not seek action. Strike. says, strike, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. Striking was essentially meant that someone would slap you on the face. And today, as opposed to thousands of years ago, that is considered one of the most, probably most insulting thing a person can do to another person, is to slap them in the face. And if you've ever been slapped in the face, it does not feel very good. It is one of the most demeaning things you can do to another person. But the scripture tells us here to let it go. If they hit you on one side, let them hit you on the other side. It goes on and talks about the tunic. And if they ask for a tunic, give them your cloak. A tunic is an inner garment, so it's pretty inexpensive. People had a whole bunch of them but a cloak is like a very expensive jacket. It had, very, uh, had multiple functions. It's not only just something you kept yourself warm with, but it's also something you can wrap things up and become a, like a little sack. And they're made of higher quality uh, materials, and it's something that individuals just don't give away. But according to this, Jesus is telling, if somebody wants your tunic, offer them also even more. Going two miles, just don't go one mile. Go two miles, and this is referring to a lot of times in the in a, in the biblical times during the occupation of the Jewish people by the Roman Roman uh, armies. The Roman soldiers would ask the the Jewish people to carry their things, like just like pack mules. They'll say, "Take this, carry it, and and and, and that's that's your your." Uh, job for us to do. So when someone does that, you know, you're busy doing your own thing and all of a sudden a soldier says, come, you got to carry this load. Go a mile with me. Jesus is saying, just don't go one mile, go two miles. Jesus is encouraging that someone who's trying to abuse you to have a servant attitude is to serve them. And then finally in this passage it says something, if someone asks you to, to give them something, it says to go ahead and give them even if they want to borrow from you. Jesus is encouraging here gener- generosity to somebody who is your enemy. Have you ever had that kind of experience where someone that's hurt you, someone who's even committed a crime against you, and he asked to borrow money from you? I have. God, in his uh, wisdom, allowed me to have that experience. You know, one of the things I, I really hate to have is, you know, those, especially as a parent, those uh, late night calls when the phone rings and then you hear your child on the other side. Not a good feeling. You know, a lot of times the experience is that late at night, if you get those kind of calls, it's usually not good. Uh, years ago, there was uh, my son. He calls me late at night and he says, Dad, can you come pick me up? And I said, why should I pick you up? You got the car. And he says, well, all four tires are slashed, and they're kind of flat, so I can't move the car. And I said, okay, that is a problem. And so as I'm driving, you know, there I'm thinking, oh, you know, Josh drove one of the more expensive cars tonight, and the tires are going to be really expensive to replace. And I'm thinking, what am I going to, what's going on here? And then, so in my mind, I know that slashing tires is an intentional act of violence. It is usually something that's done by young males, and they also do it out of anger and revenge. And so when I go pick up my son, I say, you know, did somebody have a grudge against you? And he said, yes, there is somebody who has a grudge against me. And unfortunately, it's, again, always on young teenagers, it's, a, it's something over a girl, it's some misunderstanding. And uh, so we report this to the police. Uh, this, the uh, perpetrator uh, not using a lot of wisdom had posted this on Facebook so it was very easy <laughs> to track down this person the police go they, they arrest him and, and uh, he confesses so the, the police officers call me and they said Mr. Yim uh, we suggest that you don't, you don't press charges because the young man says he is sorry and he wants to pay retribution to you I said, okay, okay, that's fine. And uh, I said, but let me meet with him. I'd like to talk to him. And they said, yeah, sure, he should because he's offering to to take care of the problem. So I did meet with this young man, and with all restraint, I was well-mannered. I was thinking of awful things to do with him. Uh, (laughs) I uh, was trying to seek my own revenge, and and it's it's normal uh, because... Someone attacked my son, and someone in part of my family is someone I'm going to protect. And this is not good. Uh, you mess with someone that I love, then you mess with me. But here, I'm, with great restraint, I'm talking to this young man, and I said, I, I appreciate your, your willingness to meet with me, and, and you want to pay retribution back. And, and he said, yeah, uh, give me how much it costs, because I, I had already replaced the tires, because there's no way to move the car unless you get four tire, uh, new tires on it. And um, he said, but I don't have the money right now. And I said, he don't. Uh, And he said, can I make payments? And then there I go, you know, he just already harmed me and caused me inconvenience and also money out of my pocket. And I am now advancing him, the cost of these tires, and he's asking me, can I pay this over time? And uh, there God spoke to me and I said, okay, that's fine. Pay me back as you can. And eventually he did. But the lesson here, as the scripture is asking us, when somebody hurts you and hurts you badly, even commits a crime against you, you have to be willing to give them money. Because it says here, if they want to borrow for something from you, do it. Not an easy thing to do, but that's apparently what Jesus wants us to do. Loving our enemies means not just giving up our right to justice, like dropping the charges that I did, but also blessing them in some way, like lending them money, like I did. Let's continue with Matthew 5, and verses 43 to 45, it says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, and that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So loving your enemy means as children of God, we bless them through the power of prayer. Verse 45 says we as Christians have a higher calling. We are reminded here that we are sons and daughters of the high one, that the master of the universe considers us his children. And because he does that, He expects us to live appropriately as children of God. We are expected to live by a higher standard of ethics and morality. And it's a common um, teaching that we see here in verse 43 because it says, "Have you, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now the first part of that, you know, love your neighbor, is something that a lot of us can kind of, Kind of accept and it was you know it comes straight out of the teaching of the greatest commandments right to love God and love your neighbor so everybody agreed with that even back in those days they all said no problem the second part where it says hate your enemy is actually something that a lot of people believe in and even believed in that time remember I said eye for an eye it was a way to justify revenge common teaching in those days by a lot of philosophers, a lot of leaders in the, in, in the biblical times, that it was okay to love your neighbor and then go out and you can hurt your enemy, not help your enemy in any way. Totally accepted. Today, I, I would have to venture to say, I think a lot of us do believe that too. That it's okay to love your neighbor, but it's no problem not, not helping an enemy. It's okay to ha- hate your enemy. And all through scripture, there is no such instruction by God to hate your enemy. But apparently, it was something that everybody said back in those days. Because if Jesus says, it's commonly heard, right? You've heard this. And Jesus was now trying to make a corrective that as children of God, we don't live like that. We live differently. A way that is different than the world says. And here, instead of hating them, Jesus gives instructions, pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who hurt you. Pray to those who have given harm to you. And are you kind of curious why Jesus says pray? You know, you could have said anything else, but instructions here is pray for them. Well, it's, it's, it's my uh, understanding here is that prayer is the single thing as christians we can do that is different from anything else because we can we can help them with money we can forgive them of of a crime against us but when we pray for them it's not actually coming from us we're praying to our god to do something we are tapping into a power That is not of ourselves. And if we do that, that is demonstrating to the world that we're different. That we have a God who makes a difference. That when we pray, that our prayers will, will be answered. And when we pray blessings to someone who is not a follower, it makes a tremendous difference of spreading the gospel and telling others about the power of the God that we follow. So do you believe in in prayer, the power of prayer? I do. You know, back during the eye screening, uh, starting the week, you, you know, that's a very challenging week. It's a very busy week. There's a lot of things that happen for our staff. I mean, we have wonderful volunteers, but for our staff, it's a busy week too. But at the beginning of the eye screening, I had this tremendous backache. I don't have any problems with my back. But on that Monday, I woke up with a severe backache. It was very hard for me to get out of bed and, and to walk around to stand up. And at the ice cream you do a lot of standing. And so I, I asked for prayers. So I started with our pastoral summer interns and I asked one, you pray for me. Nothing happened. <laughs> That's okay. The, then the next day it did it, it still I still had the backache. And then I called I asked our other pastoral intern and, and he, he prayed for me, nothing happened. And and I was still aching. So by Wednesday, I was out in the prayer prayer tent areas. And as I'm standing there, uh, Yvonne was there. And I said, uh, uh, Lily, who's one of our prayer warriors, asked, why don't you have Yvonne uh, pray for her? Because Yvonne is very good at at healing prayer. So she laid hands on me and prayed for me on that Wednesday. And uh, within 10, 20 minutes, my backache had disappeared. And that was, for me... Just a big relief because, you know, if, if you ever had back pain, it's, it's not a lot of fun to go through. But there it demonstrated to me, again, the power of God to heal. And the instructions here from the scriptures tells us that as Christians, as children of God, that is one thing that we can do for somebody that, that, that totally is independent of ourselves. We are totally dependent upon a God to answer those prayers. Is not coming from our resources or our strengths, but it comes from a God who is stronger than us. The scripture says here that the sun rises on both good and evil. and just points out that our God is a great God. That all men, whether they follow or don't follow, as long as you are on earth at this particular time, God's grace is extended to you. As you walk on this planet, Everyone gets to experience the grace of God because we all know that as soon as we are born into this world, we are subjected to a, a judgment that means that we will eventually be judged and whether we follow or we don't, it's either eternity with God or an eternity without Him. But in God's mercy and love and grace, He gives everybody a certain amount of time to enjoy life here. Often our enemies are defined as people different from us. There are things about us that make us distinct. Some of these things are, are, however, make us angry at one another. They make us uncomfortable with one another. Some of these things are economics. Some of it is social status, sexual orientation, politics, and even geographical locations. All of these things make us sometimes to dislike someone, hate them, even be our enemies. And one of the major differences in people, unfortunately, is ethnicity and race. It happens to be this week. This week is the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, famous speech in Washington, D.C. I Have a Dream. This is the 50th anniversary week. And we could all say that, that, that progress has been, been made in, in racial reconciliation in the years after that, but if we are truthful and honest, sometimes when we look at the news, it doesn't appear that much things have changed. Things that, that uh, are kind of racist in, in appearance are maybe not as overt, they're more subtle now. And actually, sometimes I believe that can be actually a little bit more dangerous. In the latest uh, Pew report, they tell us that the United, in the United States, we are far from racial equality. And some of the findings do that. Overall, 49% of Americans say a lot more remains to be done to achieve racial equality. Among blacks, 79% say more needs to be done for racial equality. Blacks are more likely than other groups to say that they have been discriminated against in the past year. 35% versus 20% for Hispanics and 10% for whites. And so that's kind of the latest Pew and some of the findings there. Now subtle, as I'm reading that, I'm curious, Asian Americans were not polled in this thing. And I'm going, wow, we've been just marginalized. We don't matter. They don't even they don't even want to interview us. So there's some subtlety there, and some curiosity why. But we know we don't have to look too far. That as Asian Americans, that we experience racism too. And whether you believe it or not, you know we know of that recent unfortunate embarrassment of a local TV station, right? That reported in not a fun way the names of the Korean pilots that had that accident at SFO upon landing, and how someone thought it was a funny joke to make up some of these unusual, uncommon Asian names for those pilots. And uh, there is this, uh, again, a, a pilot for a new show, a comedy show, and the whole stick there is to make fun of Asians in it, and especially uh, using... Asian female as, as kind of that China doll kind of character, and a lot of people are, are unhappy about that, that Hollywood still thinks Asians are comedy figures. God has a plan to bring all nations into his kingdom. Jesus was teaching to both Jews and Gentiles. And those two different people groups back at that time didn't like each other. But God said, you all belong in my church. And that was something that the Jewish people and the Gentiles were struggling with. How do we coexist? Because for centuries, they didn't like each other. But Jesus says, my hope is for all of you. And you folks are going to have to figure this out, that you are all one church. Our biases, our fears, our prejudices has an effect on how we express our understanding of Scripture, the Gospel, and our ministry to others. And we have to, and I remind us, we have to check our attitudes whenever we go out into the world to minister in the name of Jesus Christ. Because remember, as children of God, we're supposed to live at a different standard. And we are to be different than the world. When we go into to places like West Oakland or, or Richmond and when we go into ministry there a lot of times we go in there unfortunately with some fears, misunderstandings, some prejudices and biases and we have to check those because they can kind of ooze out of us if we're not careful. I remember when, one time when we were doing prayer walking in West Oakland and a member of our group kind of made this comment that said you know it. it now there's all these young, capable men out here, young men out here, and, and they're just hanging out, doing nothing on the streets. Why aren't they going and looking for a job? And at that moment, I had to kind of pull that person aside and said, you know, how do you know they haven't tried? How do you know that they've gone to places and interviewed and tried to get a job? And, and you have to realize... There are certain institutional biases that have been, unfortunately, caused this situation. And to realize that you, not being of African American descent, often have a lot of advantages that you aren't aware of that allow you to be successful in this world. And, and you know, that's something that, that when we go and minister to people, that we don't go in there that we're better than you attitude. We are just as fallen. We are just broken as the next guy uh, next to us. And Jesus teaches us here that we are to love them, not as someone who is an enemy, but somebody who is just a fellow neighbor. When we were in Richmond, one of the most touching things that that. that that I experienced was when I prayed for this young African-American guy who, who told me that he was uh, diagnosed with lung cancer and you know we pray for them before they go in for the eye screening but after uh, we prayed for them and, and he, he, he started weeping he was just crying because during my prayer I referred him as a man as a child of God that God loved him that that, that, that week that God would bless him in some way that he would know the goodness of life. Because for someone going through that, right, someone who's kind of been diagnosed probably with terminal cancer, that he was going to die soon at a very young age. But as a Christian, as a child of God, I am there to have compassion and empathy for him and to pray for him, as the scripture says, to pray for those who, who I may not like, for some reason, someone who who may have um, hatred against me. But Jesus instructs us to pray for those who persecute you. Let's continue in Matthew 5, verses 46 to 48. It says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Therefore, loving your enemy is part of the process that transforms us to be like Jesus. It's a process. It doesn't happen instantly. God wants us to be more like his son Jesus, to take on his attributes and his characteristics. And it's a journey. And it's a process that that God has to be part of. He transforms us. And one way that we are transformed is by loving our enemy. Just the whole act of doing that will help transform us. Because our identity is in Jesus. It says here that we have a Heavenly Father, and His Son is Jesus, and He is our role model. And there is an expectation here that Christians should think and act differently again. And that being a follower of Jesus should make a difference. That having Jesus in your life should make a difference. Because if it doesn't, then it's not worth anything. Because if you don't believe having Jesus as your Lord and Savior and it does not make any difference in your life, then I'm telling you, you're wasting your time then. It's not any good. But it does it does make a difference. That having Jesus makes you different from the world. And not just in an intellectual way, but in all ways. The scripture says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, a lot of times when we read that, I think a lot of, probably a lot of you jump on the first half and forget the second half of that. Because when we see be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, a lot of us from our culture are performance oriented. We're very task oriented. We want to do the best that we can. And when we see those words do something, we're so compliant, yeah, we're gonna try to do that. But for some of us, we're so tired of trying to do something that we look at a whole we have a whole list of things to do. Because we're we're overachievers, we're performers. But we missed the whole point here because we don't get to read the second half of that, that our Heavenly Father is perfect. And that statement is the encouragement that Jesus is giving, that we're not perfect, but our Heavenly Father is perfect. And the reason that should be something that makes us joyful is that when we have a perfect Father, the perfect Father loves perfectly. His love is perfect. And that love is so unconditional that there is... It can love anyone, no matter how bad, how uh, fa- big a failure you are. God's love is perfect, and he loves perfectly. And that's the good news. And Scripture tells us, from 1 John, that we love because the Father loved us first. And that is an amazing truth that we need, some of us need to be reminded of, but also, again, appreciate to know that you are loved by a perfect father. Uh, parents try to do this for their children, right? We all try to raise them in a way that they would have um, a thinking and a behavior that is uh, of a particular way. And as Christians, as Christian parents, we want our children to live lives that are reflective in the instructions of God, that we want them to be godly people. And similarly, God wants us to be the same way. He wants his spiritual children to live in a certain way that is reflective of his values and his character. And that is to love others like ourselves, to think of others better than ourselves, to make their interests more important than our interest It's not an easy thing to do, admittedly. Now, this kind of thinking and behavior is something that's not natural to us. It does require a supernatural power to do that. And that is that is God's responsibility to do that for us. To kind of express this in a way, like a like a parable. One of the things I love to do is um, is I watch uh, Korean dramas, <laughs> and uh, the way I justify it is that you know oftentimes there are some themes in there that can be used to express um, certain godly principles, and I'm going to show you a video clip right now that demonstrates. <laughs> This, this concept, this principle of loving your enemy. And it is a mother, a parent, teaching, talking to her, her daughter about what it means to love an enemy. And in this piece, uh, it shows, to set it up, the, the mother is, is, has been kidnapped and she's about to be murdered. And this is her last parting words to her daughter. 딴거 없다. 있으면 솔직히 얘기하는 거다. 알았지? 끊는다. 잠깐만, 해승아! 어? 해승아. 니네 그거 안 너네는 눈에는 눈, 이에는 이. 네. 그 법대로 살다가는 이 세상 사람들 다 장님이 됐기다. 뭐야, 뜬금없이. 니한테 못하게 아는 사람들, 너를 질테가 그러는 기다. 니가 하도 잘 나가, 부러워서 그러는 기다. 그런 사람들 미워하지 말고, 어엽게 여기고, 가엽게 여기라. 알았나? 또다 또, 엄마 지금 도연이 팬 되는 거지? 또다 이제 말고! 네 약속해라 사람 미워하는데 네 인생을 쓰지 말아라 이 말이다. 한번 태어난 인생 이뻐하면서 살기도 모자란 세상 아니까? 응? 알았어. 맞아, 맞아. 엄마도 이제 감기가 무서울 나이야. 그래 알았다. 어떻게 알아? 그게 다야. 이게 당신 딸한테 남기는 유언인 건 알지. 그래 안다. 이게 내 유언이다. <웃음> 어, 얘기하지 말란다고 진짜 안 해. 살려달라고 울고불고 해야 되는 거 아니야? <웃음> 아 미친 네 속을 뻔히 다 아는데 그 수에 놀아날 것 같나? 사장님 보기보다 독하네, 얘기 다 해줬잖아, 내가 왜 이러는지, 내가 왜 댁의 딸과 원수가 됐는지. 내가 뭘할 건지 다 알잖아 이제. 안 무서워? 안 무섭다. 그냥 나는 네가 못나고 참 가엾다. 웃나? 가요? 평생 여부를 증오하면서 살아온 거야. 그 인생이 얼마나 지옥이었을꼬. 그래? 어, 그럼 이제 네 딸도 나처럼 지옥에 살겠네. 지 엄마를 죽인 나를 평생 나 증오하면서 복수로 So our God, who is our Heavenly Father, has raised us in a way that tells us to love our enemies, and uh, it is then whether or not we will obey those instructions. And I venture to guess some of us in this room may be going through something where someone has hurt you. You've been harmed, and you don't like them. You you even hate them. And unfortunately, maybe some are thinking, I would wish they would die. And if you're in that place, God's telling you, you know, he loves you and his love should be sufficient and that that kind of love should be extended to others because you live differently from the world. In a moment, we're going to have a time of reflection and response, the word of God. And, and during that time and during that, that, that response song, I want you to take a moment to reflect on your own lives, your relationships. And maybe there are some enemies in your life. And, and I want you to think about them and, and, and bring them to God. And, and as you're th- trying to identify those enemies for yourself, pray for God's help because you're going to need God's help. And, and, and begin to process for yourselves with God's help what what your next steps may be that at least begin as the as scripture tells us here to pray for them. And it may be time that be necessary to even get to the point of being able to forgive them, but eventually, according to scripture, a little bit, it goes beyond just praying for them. It's actually doing something tangible in an act of kindness, if that is possible. So I want you to think about that during this time and also to think about it all through the week. Jesus modeled a redemptive love even for his enemies, which we are humble enough to admit, if we are humble enough to admit, that at one time in our lives or times in the future, we will be ourselves an enemy of God. Apostle Paul wrote, For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Even great military leaders discovered this power of love. Napoleon Bonaparte said this at the end of his reign, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, Millions of men and women would die for him. Jesus teaches us about a new world where his followers live differently than the old world ways. We choose to follow him or we choose not. If we follow him, we choose life. God is love, Jesus is love, and his followers should be love. If an eye for an eye is a rule, then we actually all would go blind. Instead of loving your enemies, that's what we should be doing. And that is God's word for us this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us, your patience when we fall short of your expectations. We give praise that you are perfect. Therefore, your love is perfect. And it is a love that is unconditional. That your enemies, including ourselves, at some time in our lives, it is through that kind of unconditional love that we can be saved by your kindness, mercy, and grace. And it's a love that is greater than life itself. Amen.